Happy New Year and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me. Last episode, I discussed my very top few films of the year with Alexandra Helen Nicholas along with hers, and we took a very particular look at those films and discussed them in the context of them all being directed by women. So this is just a broader look at basically my pure top 10 of the year in order. Just to give you some other films that maybe you missed that you should um, take a look at. I think most of these, if not all of these, should be available somewhere on the streaming services, wherever you are in the world. My criteria was that they were released in Australia during the calendar year 2020, either in cinemas, on VOD, or both. So number 10... 10, pardon me, is The Climb, written by and starring Michelangelo Covino and Kyle Marvin, and directed by Michelangelo Covino. The Climb is very, 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 very clever, told over seven chapters, each containing only one or two extremely long and well-choreographed takes. It's ambitious, it's witty, and it's personal. The unbroken takes delightfully draw attention to themselves and become a big part of the fun. The camera weaves in and out of groups of people, houses, vehicles, and even seasons. Elsewhere, other stylistic extravaganzas gleefully wave their hands for our attention. A sudden, albeit low-key, musical number, a lo-fi, albeit terrifying, action sequence. In every chapter, there is something stylistically exciting going on. Likewise, the storytelling is giddily exuberant, reveling in dramatic ellipses, strange twists, and well-shaped supporting characters. This is a film that both harks back to an earlier age of American indies about male friendship, I was reminded of In the Company of Men, Neil Butte's 1997 feature debut, while also feeling fresh and unique. That is The Climb. Number nine is The Trouble with Being Born, a provocative and challenging film. Austrian filmmaker Sandra Wollner's challenging second feature is intelligent and thoughtful, legitimately subversive and transgressive, conceptually ambitious, but most of all, devastatingly sad. Straddling sci-fi, family drama, and provocation, it operates as a darker B-side to Steven Spielberg's AI artificial intelligence from 2001. In a world otherwise not markedly different from our own, realistic robots with advanced artificial intelligence exist. In summer, in a suburban house in Austria, a man and his robot live together. He is middle-aged. The robot represents, as female, around nine or so years old. Every facet of their relationship and every facet of our response is, therefore, complicated. This is one brave movie. It takes on massive thematic concerns unflinchingly. It will not be for everybody, it will not be for most, but it is guaranteed to make you think about technology, grief, memory, and the conceptual link between them. It is a provocation only in that it dares to deal with possibilities we'd rather not think about, but it is not at all exploitative, grotesque, or squalid. It is beautifully crafted along 
cool, formal lines featuring exquisite naturalistic performances and sublime cinematography. It is rigorous, thoughtful, deeply heartfelt, and truly audacious. That is The Trouble With Being Born, and it's my number nine. My number eight is Dark Waters. Todd Haynes brings his virtuosic levels of craftsmanship to a lawyer versus corporation true story with magnificent results. Dark Waters, a passion project for star and producer Mark Ruffalo, has everything the genre and indeed many a good film demands. High stakes, honest suspense, compassion, passion, righteous anger, and more than a few goosebump moments. It's a depressing film about a very depressing sustained act of corporate malfeasance but it is ruthlessly compelling and compulsively watchable. I welled up three times over the course of the film, not because my emotions were being manipulated, but because they were being addressed. Haynes may infuse his film with horror, but that is because it is a horror story, as all stories of human abuse by corrupt moneyed corporations are. Every beat of this movie is told with integrity, and your tears are deserved. That is Dark Waters. Number seven is Mank. David Fitcher has shot Mank so that it looks, sounds, feels and smells like it was made at the time Citizen Kane was, the early 1940s, and it is a startling experience. From the contrast of the black and white images, to the simulated grain of the film, to the period-appropriate fade-outs, to the fun inclusion of cube lips, those strange circles in the upper right corner of the screen that appear in old movies to alert the projectionist to a real change, Fincher and his cinematographer Eric Messerschmitt nail the aesthetic of the period, and the sound design follows suit. But there's more to the film's 1941 faux verisimilitude. The screenplay itself is constructed as it might have been then, and thus is it acted. Every actor in the film is essentially giving the performance they would have given in 1941, before the naturalistic method stormed in. The whole enterprise is highly stylized, and it totally works. Once you're in, a process that took mere minutes for me, you are in. The style remains, but it's never an obstacle, obstruction or irritant. Form follows function beautifully. That's Mank, my number seven. My number six, Bait, is also an appropriation of an older style of cinematography, but whereas Mank is a simulacrum, Bait is the real deal. Mark Jenkins, a British filmmaker, has created the most visually memorable film of the year with Bait, which he shot on 16mm black and white stock using a vintage wind-up Bolex, which meant he couldn't record live sound, so the whole soundscape, including all dialogue, was added in post. Furthermore, Jenkins processed the film himself by hand and used things like coffee grounds and vitamin powder in the process, giving the resulting image an honestly achieved handmade look. The story itself is also bold and original, the tale of Cornish gentrification seen through the eyes of a local fisherman struggling with economic survival in the new Cornwall tourist economy. The aesthetics of the film inevitably consign it to the art house, but for the right viewer, like me, this film will be fresh, vibrant, exciting, and extremely memorable. That is Mark Jenkins' feature film, Bait, which he made with a hand-cranked camera and processed himself. I just think it's great. Check it out.
Coming into my top five here. Number five is Corpus Christi. Nominated for the 2019 Oscar for Best International Feature Film, Corpus Christi features a near-perfectly structured screenplay, sublime formal cinematography, and pitch-perfect naturalistic performances, including from lead actor Bartosz Bilinia, whose portrayal of a young man who impersonates a priest in a small town in Poland after leaving juvenile detention is truly superb. Uncannily resembling the young Christopher Walken, he registers multiple levels of contradictory motive and emotion in every scene, adding great complexity to what is already a very rich and complicated story. We, as viewers and interpreters, are consistently put off guard as our protagonist challenges our perceptions. How much should we like this guy? How much are we allowed to? That is Corpus Christi, my number five film of 2020. Number four is A White White Day. From Iceland came the staggering A White White Day. Hilner Palmason's follow-up to his acclaimed and award-winning debut Winter Brother, featuring a once-in-a-lifetime role for the great Ingvar Sigurdsson, who nails every moment as a widowed grandfather and policeman building a house for his daughter and granddaughter while quietly losing his mind. Some of the technical attributes of the film are mind-blowing, and Palmerson is unafraid to stick his neck out with some extremely bold directorial choices. That is A White White Day, which I was privileged to see in Norway while I was on the jury for the Norwegian International Film Festival last year. That was an exciting gig. Um, we did not award A White White Day our best Nordic film, which is what we were awarding. That went to a film called Before the Frost from Denmark, which remains unreleased in most English language markets. But A White White Day was definitely our number two, and it's number four on my best of 2020. Number three is never rarely, sometimes always. Working within total realism, centred around a debut actor's perfectly naturalistic performance, Eliza Hittman's third feature, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, is sublime. Full of pure empathy and compassion throughout, it makes a thousand points well without any made didactically. It is simultaneously one of the angriest films of the year, while also being one of the quietest. Brand newcomer Sidney Flanagan, who's already been picking up awards in American critic circles, plays Autumn, a teen in Pennsylvania who needs an abortion and travels to New York City with her cousin Skylar, Talia Ryder, to get it. Along the way, the girls encounter the things girls encounter, including some incredibly sharply observed male oppressive behaviours. Captivating performances, hyper-real settings, and a central scene that's among the best of the year add up to a must-see film that, like the number one film on this list, takes on something big with quiet and furious precision. We'll get that not we'll get to that number one, pardon me, in a moment. But first, my number two, Proxima. I can't remember the last time I was as moved by a film as I was by Alice Winkor's Proxima. Eva Green plays Sarah, a French astronaut living and training at the European Space Agency in Cologne and bringing up her eight-year-old daughter Stella. When she is selected for a one-year mission aboard the International Space Station, Sarah finds that despite wanting to go to space since she herself was a little girl, she now feels deeply conflicted about leaving her child. 
We follow Sarah through detailed and ultra-realistic scenes of an astronaut's specific training. Sequences were shot at the European Space Agency in Cologne and at Star City near Moscow on actual training equipment in actual uniforms according to actual protocols. Purely as a procedural about what modern astronauts do, Winkor's film would have been fascinating. But this is a film about parenthood and the hugely emotional bond between a mother and her child when her child is still young and vulnerable. In this case, Stella, the child, is eight. Sarah's excitement to fulfill her lifelong dream of venturing into space is immediately and overwhelmingly tempered by her grief and guilt for leaving her daughter, despite the girl's father, an amiable astrophysicist who also works at the European Space Agency in Cologne, being a decent man who Stella loves and Sarah can trust. Sarah can train all day at the limits of human physical and mental ability, only to find her most challenging moment upon hearing via FaceTime that her daughter has not made any friends at her new school and is spending her lunch times in the playground alone. Non-parents may not get it. Parents, like myself, may find Proxima their film of the year, and astronauts too. And my number one film of the year is Kitty Green's fiction debut feature film, The Assistant. Remarkably assured, bold and precise, with a preternaturally firm grasp of tone and style, backed up by immaculate, if low-key, craftsmanship, Kitty Green takes on one of the massive stories of our recent history, the systemic abuse of women by patriarchal systems, as exemplified specifically by the actions of Harvey Weinstein, and turns them into 90 minutes of crystal drama, informing, enlightening, and horrifying us. Julia Garner plays a young woman who has been one of Weinstein's personal assistants for two months. The Weinstein character, by the way, is never named, nor is his face shown, but there is no doubt whatsoever who the character is meant to be. She's in the inner sanctum at a desk immediately outside his office in a reception room with two other male assistants. In another part of the building, executives and other employees labour away at distribution, finance and artistic elements of his business, which is clearly meant to be the Weinstein Company, while more employees, including human resources, occupy a building next door. Los Angeles and London offices of the company are ingeniously represented by thick folders handed to a new employee. The action takes place over a single long Monday, rarely leaving the offices, and part of the thematic genius of the script is that it is, in many ways, just another day with all the minor and major abuses of trust and power, emotions and sex that a single day in the life of Weinstein could involve. It's gut-wrenching and evocative and atmospherically rich. At times the vibe is of a horror movie, the monster lurking just metres from the protagonist, separated by one door and a lifetime of acquired privilege. All the excellent actors are on the same completely naturalistic page. The spare and often incidental dialogue is perfect in its concise precision, and the production design oozes authenticity, to the point I suspect that it reflects the actual Weinstein Company offices as leaked by an ex-employee. It all adds up to a stunning package, which also 
more than any film I've seen in at least 18 months, if not years, has something truly serious to say and says it with breathtaking audacity. It is absolutely brilliant. A modern masterpiece. That is The Assistant, Kitty Green's debut fiction feature film and my number one film of 2020. And I'm incredibly pleased to say that next week on Movie Land, I will be interviewing Kitty Green about The Assistant from New York. I really hope you see The Assistant before listening to that episode because we will be discussing the film in its entirety. In other words, we will quote-unquote spoil it. Not that it's really the kind of film that you spoil. It's not full of twists and turns, but we will be discussing intricate elements of its conceptualization, scripting, shooting, etc. So please do yourself an incredible favor watch The Assistant. I certainly know it's available on iTunes, and in fact it's available on all sorts of streaming services for rental or purchase. Watch it, or any of these films on this list, and then listen next week as I discuss The Assistant with its auteur, Kitty Green. Those are my ten. Once again, quickly, from ten to one, The Climb, The Trouble with Being Born, Dark Waters, Mank, Bait, Corpus Christi, A White White Day, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, Proxima, and The Assistant. Plenty of happy viewing for you in hopefully, hopefully, this happier new year. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me.